0: I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs.
1: And I'm Liam McNicholas. And this
0: is The Early Education Show. A fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector.
1: This episode, we're spending some time thinking about educator and teacher practice in the first three years. There's a huge amount of advocacy out there for the importance of the first five years, but plenty of research points to the idea that the first three years are even more important for children. Yet infants and toddlers' practice in the sector often receive far less attention than the years just before school. To look at this area from two different perspectives, Leanne and I spoke separately with Dr. Andy Salomon, an early childhood teacher, researcher and advocate, and Lauren Hiberson, an infants team leader with Northside Community Service. Let's hear from Dr. Salomon and Leanne first.
0: Well, welcome to the conversation with Dr. Andy Salomon from ACU, and we're going to be talking about uh, her research around infants and toddlers. But uh, to start with, Andy, hello. Hi. Can you sort of tell us a little bit about yourself and perhaps uh your PhD that you completed it must be a few years ago now, but it only seems very recent to me.
2: Yeah. Well, it feels a bit longer for me. Um my name's Andy Salomon. I am an early childhood teacher uh who grew into being a researcher with a focus on infants and toddlers. Um I'm currently working at ACU, so I work with pre-service teachers, which is excellent, Um, and the focus of my PhD, the focus of my PhD was about uh, how our conceptions of infants' capabilities manifest in our practices uh, and then impact, and when I say our, I mean educators, so I worked with um, educators working in the infant toddler program and uh, the group of babies and toddlers there as well.
0: So, I want to ask you a little bit more about that, but I want to also ask you about um, what you just said about going from an early childhood teacher to a researcher. So, yeah. what, how did that transition happen?
2: Well, actually, I realised I missed an important part where I was a director as well. So, I started off as a teacher, then I was a room leader, then I was a team leader, and so I guess that was that transition. And I, I had worked I started off with preschoolers and then I, I kind of went backwards and I ended up as the room le- the team leader in an infant and toddler program. And it was wonderful because I really got the chance to just be with babies and lead a team working with babies and toddlers, uh, working with families. And um, yeah, so just really seeing it in practice and then noticing things and then moving on to becoming uh, a director, so that's when I moved to the infant's home, uh, which was important, Uh, and a part of what we did there as well was um, trial the earliest learning framework, Uh, and I was the director of a team of 10 staff, I think, or eight or nine, I can't remember, Um, yeah, so we worked through that as well, so, and then actually it was at the infant's home where I guess I was found in a way. Uh, and pop back up on people's radars. And that led into my PhD. So
0: you said that you um, implemented the Early Years Learning Framework because that would have been when it was introduced. How did you find that that supported your work with infants and toddlers?
2: Um, Well, I guess it helped us think more uh, critically about the work we were doing uh, with infants and toddlers. And a part of, in the trial, a part of um, what we did was look at ways that we could find infants and toddlers in the earliest learning framework. Uh, And so in doing that, we had to overcome our own ideas and preconceptions and, um, yeah, kind of come in with that critical reflection on our practice because it impacts so greatly on children's. Does that help? (laughs)
0: anything Uh helps anything helps Andy I was trying to work through Andy and I share our love of uh, theory of practice architectures and I'm thinking now where does that fit into the theory of practice architectures (laughs) um anyway we can explore that more in a a moment because that will come into our conversation about some of the research you're doing now so if you could share maybe a couple of learnings from your research that you did for your PhD what would they be um
2: well that yes it's true our preconceived notions impact on our practices and uh, in a way not that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's not magical but we know how babies learn is through practice so if what we think babies can do comes through in what we do with them that's what they will learn so um, that was one important thing and then um, and I think this is what PhDs are supposed to do a really great thing was this idea of emotional capital that then became the springboard for the my future research. Um, that came out of um, that was an important part of my um, the findings of my thesis.
0: So it was a bit of a springboard to the next stage of researching that you're yeah. doing. Yeah, and that that's good because that leads us into the uh, project that you're starting out on. or well, you've yeah, already started out right. on it anyway, and yeah. uh, so. Tell us about what that research is going to be about, and maybe a little bit of why you feel that it's important.
2: Um, well, the research is about this idea of emotional capital uh, and practices, but um, and I've theorised that toward the end of my thesis, or drawing on the literature, uh, the data from my thesis, I theorised this idea of um, emotional capital in relation to infants' practices. Uh, But what this project does is it um, gets me out into uh, a centre and I actually document these practices because they kind of came up as snippets in my thesis, but it wasn't really the focus. This project focuses on those practices.
0: So can you explain what you mean by emotional capital? Sure.
2: Um, Well, the way I saw it, the way it came to me was realising that this thing that babies do. Uh, and so the idea of emotional capital is, uh, in relation to babies, is that infants, um, gosh, I feel like I'm going into a vortex backwards. Um, <laughs> I don't quite know where to start. Uh, there's, yeah, because there's research that's been done on emotional capital, um, focusing on the women's labour and the emotional labour of uh, working with um at home, at school, in early childhood education. But in relation to infants, infants have this evocative emotional communication and um, they use it purposely toward the end of their first year. Um, And I can see that as a form of capital. It's something that has accumulated over time, grounded in knowledge, their understanding and ultimately power. Um, And so that's where I made that connection with um, this idea of capital, uh, and then that's where Bourdieu comes in and and writes about that. Um, so, if you're talking about um, that they that it becomes, uh,
0: what I heard was it becomes more intentional at the end of their first year. Yes. So, obviously, obviously along the way, uh, young children are learning about um, what it means to express emotion. Is that yes? You, am I getting that? And so
2: then. And it starts as communication. So, you know, at birth, it starts in the intersubjective, the back and forth, the serve and return between an infant and its um, caregivers. Um, and then, that, like I said before, that's how babies learn. So if I do this, this happens. Or it's about impacting on the world and, and vice versa, the world impacting on you. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so it starts off as communication. Then they start to associate more to it because there's a lot more going on for uh, for the adults as well. Um, we're our own, and that's where I'm, I'm looking at my map. And so I've gone over into the corner about dispositions. So I think it's also connected, like I said, with what we think babies are capable of, um, our own emotional communication. And that's really, um, that then gets huge, right? <laughs> because people come from such diverse backgrounds that that'll, um, it comes through in different ways. So, yeah. And I
0: suppose the, the emotional capital is is different for every infant and toddler. I mean, I'm not, I, I, I really, I'm probably just uh, sort of paraphrasing here because they're, because the response to that communication is different for each child.
2: Yes. And so that, that's where different dynamics start to develop between infants and their caregivers uh, because the infant comes to learn that Um, the response there, like the the particular way they express and um, purposefully make these connections. And it's for both positive and negative affect. So that's where, you know, um, there's been lots of literature, like developmental psychology literature since the 70s um, that has written about a lot of this and and, um, researched this in experimental um, contexts. Uh, So there's babies, you know, who are the clowns, the pretend cough, um, and that's one thing that I kind of refer to directly. But there's all these other nuances. So it happens for positive affect, where they're being silly, where they're being the clown, uh, but then also for negative um, affect. So they do it in the way they cry sometimes. Um,
0: Yeah. But that would have a positive because that's that's sort of a – the communication that then elicits a response, doesn't it? So it's kind of positive, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, it depends. It depends. And that's what we don't know is that because in a way, depending on if it, you know, it it gets tricky because then you decide, is this a want or a need? Are they emoting? um, Why are they doing it? And that,
0: yeah. Mm. So who's going to be involved in this research?
2: Uh, Myself. And... (laughs) A centre in (laughs) uh, regional New South Wales, um, which is exciting, uh, and uh, centre support um, who are a part of uh, the project.
0: And how how are you going to go about it? What what's what are your methods here? (laughs)
2: Um, Well, this is where I've kind of referred to you know as it's ethnic graphic research in the sense that I feel like a bit of a native um, in early years learning contexts. So if I'm going to um, write about people uh, in their environment, I get to really immerse myself and just I feel like I want to disappear in a way. And then there's a part of me that wants to get stuck in as well. But I'm taking my very good camera uh, and I'm, I'm going to sit um in an infant and toddler space, and take photos of uh, the babies, uh, and also work with educators in, um, I guess, coding those photos as sayings, doings, and relatings, which are the practices um, of our beloved theory, Leanne. Theory of practice. So, so that's how you,
0: that's how you'll be doing the analysis. So you are you going? Are you saying you're going to sit in an early childhood setting and and become invisible or are you going to be visible or what's what's your plan there
2: well my plan is to be invisible but then I know that things don't always go according to plan um because if a child approach if a baby comes up to me then I will say hello to it and but the plan is to be invisible I am open to interaction
0: yeah right well you you can't avoid it, can you, if you're And I kind of have to be, yeah, in mm. infant-toddler
2: research. There's actually literature about that that says, you know, you have to become a part of it or it's more unnatural. Yes,
0: yeah, right. Yeah. And also it's very – it could be very confusing, couldn't it, for yes. the children yes. who are involved in attacking the very foundation of the research <laughs> that you're trying to do.
2: Yeah, no, that's right. Not a, not a good no, plan. Yeah, mm. that, was, that actually happened in my thesis where I had these really um, – pure intentions of, of the children being participants and, you know, considering their right to be a part of the, the research. And then they wanted to come to the uh, laptop where we were watching videos. And I kept saying no, like we had to say no, that they couldn't touch the laptop. And I thought, gosh, that's so at odds with my intention. Uh, so mm-hmm. I actually changed my the method. I didn't bring the laptop back because that wasn't fair. That wasn't fair to be the researcher that came in with something and then told the, um, the children they couldn't touch it. Yes. <laughs> one of the unintended um,
0: consequences of that yeah. sort of research, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, that's
2: right.
0: Now, you mentioned the theory of practice architectures and you and I have had a lot of conversations about this. Um, but maybe yeah. do, you, do you think you could give the the one-minute primer on this theory? Oh. because. You and I both believe that it's probably transformative for early childhood education, and we want to um, convert the world to the theory. But yes, it's but it's also quite a complex theory um, at the early stages. So um, I'm putting the pressure on you now to give a one oh, minute one minute summary.
2: Okay, <laughs> I'll give it my best. I'm looking at my little web of on the on the map. Um, so the theory of practice architectures uh, states well, not states, but it's about uh, both individual practices of um, in early childhood context, for example, educators, um, and the social site of practice. So that's the place where the practice is happening, where you're a collective together. So th- there's an individual side of practices, and then there's the social site of practices. And those are connected. Uh, and so the individual practices are sayings, doings, and relatings. And then the uh, social site um, is where they come from. So sayings come from cultural discursive arrangements. So that they're the arrangements. They're the architectures. Is it too fancy already?
0: No, I think because we can flesh it out in a minute. And for people okay. who are interested, they can, they can keep listening.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So sayings come out of uh, cultural discursive. They're like preconditions, arrangements, architectures of the social site of practice doings come out of the material economic arrangements of the social side of practice and relatings come out of the social political arrangements and they don't just come out of but they go back and forth so anytime you imagine something impacting it goes always in the theory which is a part of what I really appreciate
0: so when I when I'm sort of thinking about this theory as well the way that I sort of help to make sense of it and the reason why I think we all want to share it is because it's a practice theory and and you know we see early childhood education as a practice essentially but the the arrangements that shape those practices for example the cultural discursive that's the language that we're using the sort of culture that we are um that that we're within um on that site of early childhood education
2: theories and
0: yeah, the sorts of things that are used in, in pedagogical decision-making. Yeah, um,
2: like the ideas. yeah.
0: Mm. and then I see that material economic as the sort of the, the site uh, physical, the nature of the physical site and the yeah. resources that are there and also the funding provisions or so those sorts of things.
2: And things um, like ratios as
0: mm, well.
2: Yes. So the, yeah. really material... That impacts on those doings. What do we get to do out of this collective space? And then the
0: social-political, which is, of course, the way the relationships happen and we're all about relationships and the sort of uh, influences that there are in terms of the political landscape being on the site and also externally and other things that you see in the social-political?
2: Like people's roles. So Mm. are you a director, are you a educator, uh, what qualifications do you have? And also that sense of solidarity, um, I think, is important mm. in
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was our two-minute deep dive into the theory of practice <laughs> architectures.
2: <laughs> I was getting comfy. I'm like, yeah, okay, what's next? I know, but I
0: guess the thing that, that kind of attracts me to that is the it's the arrangements that are shaping yeah. practices. And so I see that the reason why I think it's got lots of potential is because we can... Look at these arrangements and consider how they are shaping um, the practices on the, on the site, and and maybe at times make adjustments to those arrangements. So well,
2: that's uh, where the practices shape the arrangements, right? Mm. So it's and that, and that um, one of the publications uh, where I first started looking at practices in relation to infants were about shaping and being shaped by uh, mm. the arrangements of early childhood. Mm. Yeah
0: which is obviously going to have a, a big part of your um, research. So we should probably now try and tune people back in who are we lost along the way there, <laughs> Andy, <Annie? laughs> when, when we got all excited. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess that there's a couple of um, things that also I would um, like to hear from you is, you know, what do you hope this research, what contribution to the sector you feel this research will make?
2: Um. I think it can really help us understand um, infants' communication better. Um, And I think that's a really important thing because um, certainly in the work I've been doing with pre-service teachers and even in practice, thinking backwards, um, yeah, I I don't think babies are understood very well. I think they're largely misunderstood and um, undervalued. Uh, So I think it might help... um, bring some awareness in a really tangible way is what I hope uh, because a part of uh, the outputs are practical resources, um, that I create. So, um, yeah. So, so what sort of practical
0: resources, I guess you haven't gotten to that stage of thinking about what those might be, but ideally what would you sort of, um, see as being a, a practical resource?
2: Um, well, uh, Using the photos that I take, uh, part of the plan is to create um, little books that we leave at the centre. That we also use uh, in family nights. So one of the things um, that we're going to do is include the community of the centre and also of um, the wider community, uh, and invite them in to share the research. So those books, um, I guess that's one way that um, that's practical resource is like a workshop uh, to then present to the community um, and then the little books and then also um, I'm working with Early Childhood Australia to create a research in practice um, booklet mm. uh, about this idea and, and using the research uh, data and the findings to inform that so
0: oh fantastic so people can look out for that but not yet
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah not, yet. not quite need to do the research first <laughs> that's right
0: and how how is it? Um, it is exciting. There's there's obviously going to be lots of things that people can look out for. And I think the um, the the infant, you know, the, the infant toddler um, story, I think is really become really growing, isn't it? In terms of the so. focus on infants and toddlers and how we we um, spend our time with infants and toddlers and who actually spends that time with them as well.
2: I hope so, um, because it's really important. Um, and as I say, I, I don't think, you know, you think about early childhood education and its value in society generally, it's quite obvious that it's not really valued very highly, evident in the conditions of educators. I think even within early childhood education, um, infant and toddler uh, pedagogy is valued even less. Uh, mm. So it's kind of a similar thing that happens just on that smaller scale. So yeah, I think it's a really good opportunity. Uh, and certainly long overdue I know lots of people have been um you know talking about it for a long time but I actually think making connections with developmental psychology is a really useful um, thing and a powerful thing because that's been out there since the 80s you know the 70s and I just don't think it's it's being used as well as it could to help build up I guess the profile Mm. and the professional status and as you say the need to think about who is in uh, who who is in an infant toddler space because uh, it's important.
0: Yeah, and and what about the um? I, I probably this is a question a bit out of the blue, but what what's the best infant toddler environment that you've ever ever found yourself in or or observed?
2: Oh, goodness. Um,
0: or what I... are the components do you think of a of a great infant toddler environment?
2: I think it helps um, to start with respect, having, you know, what is the philosophy uh, in relation to infants in particular, uh, and recognising their particularities, they're small, they're vulnerable in ways, but, um, you know, they still have rights, the same rights as we do. Uh, So, I think that's an important component. Um, I think also, having and then what that does is it means that people who are with babies give them space to be i often say to my guys it's about you know space to have a voice with babies i think that's an important component and i guess that's where qualifications may come in but understanding their development understanding and that's where i think this um, understanding their um, communications uh, is a part of that but um You know they take a bit longer to process things so when you ask for something or you can involve them in things you have to wait a little bit you know you've got to slow down uh so that's important and i think that comes with understanding and knowing babies Uh, what else what about
0: the physical space i think people are often thinking about the physical space um because because they're you know some some physical spaces are challenging but what what do you see as a, a great space physical space for infants and toddlers
2: um one that has um you know i, I imagine simplicity uh on all le- like sensory levels because depending on what you want to how you're shaping uh, this child um, everything else will take their attention away so and i'm imagining things like colors and um hanging things and like babies will notice all of that so if you want for them to notice certain things, then you'll be in a certain way. It just reduces their sensory load, I think, mm. uh, when there's a bit of a more simple, calm, uh, physical environment. Um, and that it's interesting, because that's on all levels even. So I'm imagining crying babies in the background. If there's lots of crying babies, then that, um, I guess, uh, emotional environment um, but you're thinking more physical, yeah.
0: Soft things. Yeah. Well, I think I think what you're saying about the simplicity is really really interesting um, because you know I think it's a bit of an unknown about exactly. Well, sorry, unknown to me about what, what exactly <laughs> is is in that infant and toddler environment, and you see a big um, range of of how that space is in how that space is actually. Yeah. Um, filled so um, you you did just start to say soft things
2: soft things like little baskets with the same thing like when I look at my I want to say that my office is is an infant toddler space but I've got like a little you know bowl of shells so one bowl of shells one bowl of I don't know nuts one of the things that came off a tree one thing I say to my students is um, start where you are So what have you got in your backyard? For example, Um, when I worked somewhere, we had a tree in the backyard and it had little flower buds, or I had those little liquid amber nuts that fell um, nearby. So I used to gather those and take them in Um, small containers. Okay, now I'm getting there. I'm into my little loop now. Uh, Materials, baskets of material, um, just cutoffs that I brought in from reverse garbage. Uh, books, please. Yeah, uh, you know, like I'm just thinking of all these different things that that were in the environments that you were that you were in. And that's I've locked into sharing that with students. So what I do is I share the photos of the different things that.
0: Um, ah, right. Are they surprised
2: yeah. at how at how simple it can be? Do you think that's yes. sometimes surprising to students. I, yes, I think so. Uh, and I think one of the things you know, that they're imagining they need to do is to guide the learning versus um, setting up the space in which the learning will happen. And I guess that's that difference between it being directed, um, and especially with um, students who are early childhood primary students, I find, um, there's a bit more of imagining when you come in. And maybe it's because that's how we were taught, or most of us, I know I was at primary school, it was, you know, that you were guided really um directly versus opening up space where children can guide their own learning and that's mm. that agency um, mm. yeah
0: mm. oh well that is fantastic thank you now um just in sort of uh finishing up how is this research funded that your back to your research how's the research ah. going to be funded
2: um uh, amazingly by the Jean denton memorial scholarship which i was successful in um winning last year uh, so that is um in part how it's funded and in part through uh the support of center support who i'm going out to do my um data collection so right
0: so that's fantastic you've got funding you're following your your dream i'm imagining with regard to this research
2: yeah yeah very exciting
0: So how can people um, keep an eye on what you're doing? What will be the first sort of ways that you're communicating about this research?
2: Well, um, I think there will, you know, there will ultimately be um, publications that come out of it. Um, That's a very good question, Leanne. (laughs) What will the first output be? Maybe a follow-up blog. I did a blog with ECA um, Mm. and so... We talked about a series, so that may be a useful little um, precursor as well to the research in practice booklet, um, which will come out eventually. Uh, But yeah, maybe the blog is the first step.
0: So We would tell the listeners of the Early Education Show to keep an eye out for that blog, and we'll put the link up to the um, first one that you've done about it as well.
2: Oh, great. Yeah, thank you.
0: Wonderful. Well, good luck. Um, Thank you. Happy goes really well. It's exciting to talk about research that's sort of in the early stages and coming up, because then we can come back and talk to you about it afterwards and find yeah. out um, some of the things that you've learned and and how that can help us in our work. So thanks, Andy, for talking to the Early Education Show.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: We'll be right back. Are you listening to our Exploring the NQS series? If you're a supporter of the show on Patreon, you're not only helping to keep the show going, you'll also get access to an extra podcast where I explore every element of the national quality standard one at a time. It's a great way to get yourself up to speed with the NQS, consider different perspectives, and grow your own professional development. Each episode is only 15 minutes. Just head to earlyeducationshow.com and click support the show in the menu to sign up and start listening for as little as $1 a month. All right, back to the show. Alright, Lauren, thanks for joining us on the Early Education Show. Welcome, welcome. Thank um, you. Um, so, Lauren, uh, why don't you start by telling us a bit about your background, and the work you've done in the sector?
3: Um, so, I've been in the sector for about 13 years, um, primarily with the infants, so the zero to two range for that time. Um, I have been fortunate enough to do a lot of training around infant spaces, um, and yeah, it seems to be my passion, the zero to twos. <laughs> so, that's where I've Spend most of my
1: time, yeah. Well, and Lauren, one of the reasons I want to talk to you is you've done some really amazing things across a couple of classrooms. So um, at Amador Center and at our Harrison Center, where we're recording from today. Um, but in terms of people that have been able to translate uh, professional development and theory into practice, um, has been really incredible, Lauren. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But we might start with a big question first, and all of these questions you've completely unprepared for, Lauren. But um, <laughs> uh, what do you think? If you had to pick one or two things that you think were most important from a practice perspective in terms of working with infants, what would you think that would be?
3: Relationships. Yeah. Um, positive and negative. Oh, um, tell I, me more about that. I think people think relationships should always be positive and that they should always be, yes, always respectful, um, but they come good and bad. People always go, oh, relationships should always be positive and always be talked about and things like that. And I think...
1: There's a bit of like a hallmark card yeah. version of interactions with children. Yeah. yeah,
3: and I think relationships are everything. It's the good, the bad, the easy, the hard. It's all, and it's that connectedness through those moments, not just the good relationship that you have with that child. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a big
1: one. Do you think we talk about that in the sector though? When we think about no. infants, we don't really think about that, though, do we? No,
3: um, infants. It's always about whether. Like they slept, they ate, they did that. Um, You'll have a general conversation with parents about whether they've, how their day was and things like that. But um, people are almost scared to talk about, oh no, they weren't really settled today or this is how we went today. This is what we do. This is not what we do. Um, And that's a relationship. That's part of that relationship. It encompasses everything.
1: And it's it's weird though because as parents know that that's not always the case at home so we know that there are those relationships can be fraught but we do kind of yeah we don't talk about that no in the sector do we no it's fascinating no um so so you sort of mentioned uh that you you were fortunate enough to have been on some some training do you want to tell us particularly about the the rye approach that i know you've taken a particular interest in and have really come back and 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 looked at how that works in classrooms tell me about what what it was like to experience that training
3: um so that was the rye foundations course that was the two-week intensive um, that was incredible. Um, intensive is the word isn't yeah, it? Yeah 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 <laughs> it was nine till 4 nonstop. non-stop um, but I think as intensive as it was it took me a good three months to actually take it all in, take it back, watch it, yeah. understand it but I think it aligns with my philosophies really well because it's slowing down, it's taking time and it's respectful. It's not about what you add to things, it's not about Planning for experiences and things—it's just about being with children. Um, Magda talks a lot about just your presence, um, and that hit a nerve with me. Yeah. Um, so when I came back, I watched other educators, and they don't—they either sit back and don't watch, don't observe, or they're too eager. They want to do things for children and not give them something that I talk about a lot is time and space. Not giving them the time and space to just be. Um, children will do things when they're ready they don't need educators to necessarily teach them and I say that in quotations teach. <laughs> um, because we don't have to teach them it's a natural experience um, and that's what I took from that yeah um, so I stand back quite a bit
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it feels strange I remember when I was in the dim and distant dark ages Laura and a team leader in an infant space you would feel um, I don't know if this is the same now but you would almost feel some pressure around that people i think saw the work with infants as not as um, not as intensive or that you would spend more time being quite slow and quiet and just being with children and i think because sometimes there's more busy work in some of the other classrooms that may not be seen as um, I think I'm dancing around right, but i think sometimes you may not be working as hard as other yep. classrooms but um, we know that's not the case have you i guess if you would care like does that in terms of working with your team and maybe working with educators across the centre, how do you talk about that practice of slowing down and just being with infants?
3: I think it's my presence um, is a big one, is that if you're going to take that on, you have to do it yourself and you have to understand what it means. Um, You're right. I think a lot of educators just go on nurseries, just you just get through the day. You hope for a quiet day. You always get a busy day. Um, But, yeah, so it's... I'm very honest with my educators um, and I will say you need to stop. You need to sit and just be with children. Um, I have a different practice that when an educator starts with children in my uh, center in our hopefully in our center soon um, in my room that they're not actually allowed to do nappies, sleep times or anything for the first week. They are just there to sit and be with children and, um, it gives them the time that I can start to, them to see what it means to be present with children um, and that 90% of the time they don't need us. Um, they don't need an educator to be with them, to be teaching them. It can be a bit confronting
1: actually, can't it? Because you're kind of saying the educator's role is to sit back and let children experience those moments themselves.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, it, people go, oh, but does it? the cleaning need to be done and the dishes need <laughs> to be done and the nappies? And I was like... Yes, those things will happen. That's a natural evolution. That's a natural flow of the day. But they're not our be-all and our end-all. They're not what we need to be doing. Um, we need to be there for the children. Um, and they need they need the time and space to do things on their own. Yeah. Um, we need to let them be. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. a bit different. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just a bit. I like being different. <laughs> I've well, come to learn that's who I am.
1: Yes, and that's why you're so welcome to decide <laughs> here. <laughs> But I think one of the things, um, I haven't done the intensive two-week training. I've done a much shorter version, but even that for me, I remember it sort of being 10, 12 years ago, um, was quite confronting. So we haven't sort of talked much about the actual ripe, we just mentioned the terms, but um, yeah. I might let you talk a bit about your experience actually over those two weeks. So people who haven't done it, it is... One of those, particularly if you work with infants, I'd really recommend it as something that Absolutely. you can convince your uh, your manager or your centre to, to send you. Um, but what I found confronting was it was really, we sort of talk about image of child all the time, but often in this quite flippant way, which is around, oh, yes, we like children and they're amazing and they can do great things. But from an infant perspective, we're a bit challenged by um, what that means in practice. And once we sort of go through that idea of what that can mean mm. it sort of puts our previous practice into perspective and you kind of have to go through this process of going oh I probably wasn't as respectful to infants and young children as I yeah. could have been but so do you want to do you want to take us a bit through like a, like a really broad summary of, I guess what the Rye principles are about and then what it was like to sort of just be immersed in that for two weeks yeah <laughs> <That's> a
3: <lot. laughs> a small, Just a small,
1: just a short question
3: just a probably the best thing I've ever done and ever been given the chance to do um it is the right principles and basics are generally it's respect um and that term encompasses a whole lot of stuff um it's not just respect for children um it's respect for parents it's respect for educators for space for Mm. time um there's a it goes through every little different thing about children. And what I really challenged me was the fact that time and space for children and how much we as educators do for the infants, yeah. um, how we don't allow them to be. And during the ride, we watched quite a few videos. That was really, really hard to take because... It really made you think like, yes, when you read something, you take it in, you think of a situation, but when you actually see it in practice and see it in the videos, um, it really gets you, it really challenges you. Yeah. Um, yeah, really hard, but really and a long time to take it all in. Yes. Like I took two weeks <laughs> and I think I'm still digesting it what, a it was, year and a half it was later. Like, yeah. It was, it was quite a while ago. Yeah. A year and a half later, I'm still digesting it. Yeah. Um, and seeing how it works with me and how I work within that practice. Um, it's, yeah, it's very much a respectful for children um, and a time slow. Um, for Magda Gerber, everything is very slow and intentional. Yeah. Um, nappy changes and food and sleep is an intentional part of the day, but it's all it's a connection part of the day. It's not just about, yeah. oh, it's 10.30, it's time for your bed. Yeah. It's that time to slow, take the time with them and just allow them to be.
1: Yeah, and I think, so, and I think everything about the, the slowness aspect I find fascinating because I think everything about the sector encourages us to try and get things done quickly. We've yeah. got to get that person's break and this person's got to be back at this time. We've got to get these things done and this person's getting picked up. Yeah. Everything encourages us to push forward quickly. So not to put ideas in your head, Lauren, about, but sort of <laughs> coming back from those, that experience and your own learning and growth over your period as a professional. What's mm. um, you know, what's what what's worked really well in terms of coming back and changing your practices, if that's if if that's the mm. way we describe it, and what's maybe been challenging, or what are you still working on or thinking about?
3: Um, I have really worked well with obviously the time and s- slow that we've yep. worked really well. Um, Gober also talks about something called tarry time that okay. has been hard for me. Um, it's about giving. T- tarry time is when children you give a child uh whether it's an instruction or an idea you give them time to take that in and then they'll come back to you with that um that's really hard for me because, you know <laughs> sometimes you are just wanted to get things yeah. done and i just have to go no wait slow down yeah. give it a minute and then move on yeah um and i think it's also like other educators like getting them to see how important yeah, giving children time mm. is
1: because they haven't had that experience, which is no. the two week intense, so You're trying to sort of translate something that was such a important experience. Yeah, yeah.
3: And when, especially that um, Sharon, our teacher, she was so good at putting things to you and making you think about them that it's hard to then put that in your own head and get it out again. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also through my practices. So the educators within my space see how I am with children, um, see how I speak to children. Um, And they pick up on that, and then we work through it um, with that. Um, I'm pretty very lucky that a lot of my educators are very good at coming to talk to me about things and, uh, why did you do that, or what's this? Um, Yeah.
1: Are are there lots of discussions in the classroom? Because I think... Although I think it's the most important part of our work, which is actually the interactions and engagement with children, we spend endless time talking about documentation and um, you know inclusive practices and, yep. and you know, all this other stuff. But actually, when you break everything down, the core of the work is just educators engaging with children. Yep. But I think it's the thing we talk about the least because I think sometimes yeah. they can be confronting conversations when you're talking with people about
3: their practices.
1: Yeah. Yep. So how? You know, as a team leader and as someone who's leading that process for a team of, um, you know, the, the incredible educators yeah. who work here, how how do you approach those conversations with people?
3: Um, I probably do it a little bit forcefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think everyone's too scared to say what they believe. Um, yeah. If you if you believe in something, then you have a reason behind believing it. And I don't just say things because I go, "Oh, well, that's how I want it to be." Yeah. I've practiced it, I've done it, I see how the children respond to that and that's why I would like that in place. Yeah. Um, it, you just have to have those conversations with educators and especially, and they have to be constant. Yeah. If you have a one-off conversation with somebody about something, they're not gonna remember it and nor are they actually gonna feel like it's respectful because it's a one-off. Yeah. Whereas we have, we don't necessarily have a team meeting per se, it's just throughout the day. Yeah. Um, I'll see someone that someone does that I'm not sure about and I'll wait till that interaction's finished and then I'll go and say oh what happened there and they'll go oh yeah I know it wasn't good we'll work through this I was like okay well let's try this way next time or um also my other educators when I'm not there I know that they'll do that yeah. because that's the what's the word I'm looking for just that's just what i yeah exactly that's yeah. what I've embedded into them that you have to ask those questions yeah Because if you don't ask those questions, the only people that miss out are the children. Yeah, absolutely. It's not about educators. The only people that miss out are the children because the educators aren't picking up. And it's not bad interactions either. It's good ones. Yeah. It's hard ones. It's all of it. Wow. Um, mm -hmm.
1: So, Lauren, if you think back to, um, you know, maybe your first role working in... Working with, I don't know if it was working Goodness. with infants in your very first role. No, it wasn't. If I can think back that far, it was preschoolers. You can, oh, wow. Um, maybe thinking back to your first role working directly with infants and thinking to today, you know, what would you think has been the biggest change or how has your thinking changed about children and, and infants in that time? What do you think is the big difference between then and today?
3: I think it's just that they're so much more capable than we give them credit for. I think when I first started, it was all about the time of the routines and in an essence making parents happy yeah um yeah time and routines it's not about that um children are more than capable to do everything on their own um whether they're five months old or whether they're two and a half it doesn't matter um i give i yeah since i first started i really believe that children will do everything when they're ready um there's no need for educators to push children yeah or any form of reason um yeah self-help is a big one as well so I yeah when I first started I was absolutely ten thirty bedtime 12 o'clock lunch let's get through it let's do it um but I see I've seen it grow and I've seen it go back as well so like yeah we, we went forward and then we went back for a bit and then we're going forward yeah. again um yeah
1: and that's the nature I think of the of the sector because there are there are operational requirements yeah. that have to be met that will always um, create challenges for those things. Always, yeah.
3: <laughs> you just, you, I think you have to learn that it's okay to go back. Yeah. And then move forward again. Like definitely after my ride training, I sort of got stuck for a while just doing the same old thing because yeah. it was a lot of information. Yeah. And I think that's with every any training you do, and then three or four months later, yeah, you can, are then able to process it and enact it. Yeah. Find what works for you. Yeah, there are some things in the ride that didn't work for me, but there yeah. are others that have completely changed yeah. my work. Okay. Um, so yeah. Mm.
1: Now this is an audio <laughs> podcast, Lauren, which makes some of these questions a bit tricky. But <laughs> um, you know, you're the the, the classroom, um, which is only a few feet away from us here in mm-hmm. the office, is you know beautiful. How so? What do you think? So for the listeners to the to the show, who are, you know maybe working in centres around the country, what do you yep. think they'd be? surprised by in an infant? If they walked into your classroom, what do you think the average or, you know, the, the an, an educator sort of working in another yep. centre that maybe hasn't uh, is maybe working in a different way, what do you think they'd be surprised by when they walked in and looked around? The calm mm. um,
3: and the general feel of the room. Yep. Um, I I don't believe that in nurseries there's any need for a busy day or a crazy day. Um, we don't have those anymore. Um <laughs>
1: You know, no one's going to believe yeah, you. Yeah, I know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'll go and get them down the hall and tell you. <laughs> um, it's very calm. It's very, and also maybe also responsive. Yeah. Um, so my environment really allows children to do things when they need. Yeah. Everything is available at children's level as much as a nursery can be. Yeah. Um, it allows children to move through the spaces as they're ready to. Yeah. Um, there's no set times for anything. said so it's very inclusive and responsive to children's needs. Yeah. Um, always open to everybody. Um. As I said, children will go to bed when they're ready. They'll eat when yeah. they're ready. Um, and it also allows for that. So like we often think, oh, no, don't want to drink bottles down children say because it's too hard. It's too messy. It's messy. But that's part of our job. Yeah. Like it's, we're there to support children not teach them, but to support yeah. them through those moments. Yeah, They're going to make a mess. They're going to do what they need to do because that's how they learn.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, and yeah, my environment allows that and it supports that. Um, children need, again, time and space to do that. And in my environment, there's, I wouldn't so say much there's set areas. Um, there's areas that allow for certain things, yeah. but they also move through yeah. um, indoor outdoor plays all the time. Um, the other thing educators would probably come into my room and say is, where are the children? <laughs> um, many times parents walk in for tours and I don't have any children in the room because they're off exploring somewhere else. Yeah. Um, we have an oval literally on the other side of the fence. Yeah. So our children are often out on the oval or in preschool or toddlers. <laughs> We're often not in our that room. <laughs> that's why right, the room's so calm. It's exactly. not there.
1: That's interesting. So, because I think... Um, when I think of other centers I've worked at and I've encouraged um, things like fences to be taken down um, in outdoor areas. So mm-hmm. you would often have you would have an infant's outdoor area and a toddler outdoor area. Yeah. We, I think I can't remember if it was the last year or the year before, but the gate, between, so the, the, the outdoor designer Harrison is a bit weird, yeah. but there was a gate between an infant outdoor area and a preschool area and a yeah. toddler's got a whole nother area yeah. and that gate was taken down. Now I think the common response people would be thinking there was, and I know you weren't here for that decision, yeah. you work with it now, um, the comp is, oh, you know, the preschoolers all run over the, the infants and you know yeah. the infants, you know, can't, you know, won't be able to be protected now, yeah. but they, they regularly access different parts of the center, here. what's been your yeah. experience with that with with children
3: oh they love it <laughs> um and actually to be honest there are no accidents outside in the preschool yard between a nursery child and a preschool child yeah um i don't think there's ever been one we don't really that doesn't happen because the preschoolers and the nursery they really respect each other yeah um and that comes from educators doing that so even though that happened it's very natural the children Already spent a lot of time in that yard, so they yeah. were already used to it. Um, and they love the challenges that that offers. Yeah, um, my children, especially, obviously, the end of the year they're a bit older. Yeah, they'll stand at the door and say preschool <laughs> because they want to be out there with yeah. their kids, they want to yeah. be exploring, and
1: they can see that space. So, the exactly. idea of being you know, as adults, what would it be like if we were in this one room for the entire day, Ten three, four, day, five, five days, days a, a week? week. Yep, but, and, we, and we could see other spaces. And we had siblings maybe that we knew were accessing different spaces. Yeah, How would exactly. that feel?
3: And they they love it. They'll spend yeah. hours out there. Yeah. Um, and they're really good. Like they know they know if they ask for something they'll like to go back inside, they're more than welcome to go back inside. Yeah. But often it's like, Okay guys, we're getting <laughs> we need to get this day moving. <laughs> no, you can't spend it. The, the centre is closing out, at some point, yeah? yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, you need to keep moving a little bit at least.
1: Yeah. Um, um, and you sort of mentioned it a bit earlier, Lauren, but the, the idea, I think sometimes our focus and infants can be about, you know, making the parents happy and that's understandable because often, particularly if it's a parent's first child or it yeah. maybe their first experience of an uh, children's services, uh, center. Mm. Um, but given that your, your classroom operates quite differently, I think to a lot of infant programs, how, how, how's that with families? Are they surprised by things in the classroom and how do they go with that surprise?
3: They're very surprised. <laughs> um, <laughs> we often do tours and they're like oh they use glass or they go to the preschool room uh, don't the big kids hurt them and things yeah. like that um, it's about being upfront with my parents at the start yeah you can't once a parent started six months later go oh no, this is what we've been doing for yeah so long and they go oh but that's not what no I was one told to start yeah they must be told up front and um, also has a very big policy of orientation as much as you can beforehand and that allows us the time to talk to parents. Yeah. Um, and I said, I, it's probably my personality, but also my, the educators in my room are getting very good at being honest with parents. Yeah. Um, there's a level of trust that comes with that honesty. Yeah. And I think a lot of educators are scared of telling parents the truth because they go, oh, they don't want to hear that their child's had a bad day today or yeah. that they were pushing and things like that because oh, that's yeah. not their view of their children. Yeah. Yeah. But as you said earlier that's children that's mm. who they are that's what they do they're yeah. meant to test the boundaries that's how they learn
1: yeah um and that's one layer i think but i think there's also a layer in the sector because it's a market model where everyone's chasing we have to get higher high occupancy, occupancy. Yep. um so people go oh you know you can't well it's easy to need tell those yeah but but i think the conversations at Northside side and um obviously particularly to your classroom mm-hmm. uh, this is the way we do it it may not be you and, and, and the, their families have the right to make that choice yeah. but we're not there going we need these families in at all costs this is the way we've chosen to do things and I think that's a bit of a different approach yeah. as I well.
3: T- most families who come especially when it's their first child I'll often say have you done tours at other centres yeah. and they'll go oh yes or not yet Yeah. and they'll say oh, I don't know how to choose which one and I say you know which one fits you yeah. and your child. As you said, our centre may not be right. The yep. way I do things is very different. And some parents don't. I have, I've had parents who've had a tour and then don't come yep. back. But that's fine because yeah. that's not for them. Exactly. I'm not for them. And the, those parents that do come know where I stand yeah. and are able to work with me. yeah, And we end up having a better relationship because of that honesty from the start. Absolutely. Um, as I said, there's that trust with that honesty. Yeah. The good, yeah. the bad, the ugly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, I'm going to release you soon, Lauren. But um, <laughs> this is a sort of similar question we ask a lot of the people we talk to. But if you were put in charge of the early childhood sector for a day, Lauren, you could do whatever you wanted. Um, you know what? What's something you would change about the sector that you think could improve this particular area of practice, working with you know infants and and and, and you know sort of birth to three? What mm. if you could change something? What would it be?
3: Time.
1: Time. Mm.
3: Just stop running by time. Stop going by the clock yeah um i know that educators go home they've got to go to lunch and things but there's nowhere that says you have to run by time not in any form of documentation not in the urf not in any of it none of it says you must run by time yeah um you need to work out with your center how your time works and calm it down um I don't have a clock in my room because we don't run by time. We run by children. Um, yep. Children are our time. They're our clocks because they'll do what they need to do. Yeah. Um, and That's across our centre. Mm-hmm. So I would hope that other centres could potentially just calm and take time to be present with children, not just cool. the clock.
1: Wonderful. That's a good moment. Lauren, thanks yeah, so much. That's okay. Thank you. <laughs> You have been listening to The Early Education Show. Thanks to our guests for this episode, Dr. Andy Salomon and Lauren Hibberson. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.